PFLAG of Northwest Arkansas is a volunteer-run, nonprofit, community-driven organization focused on supporting and engaging LGBTQIA people, their families, friends, and allies. PFLAG of NWA provides opportunities for dialogue about sexual orientation and gender identity and acts to create a society that is healthy and affirming of human diversity. We offer the following monthly events, a general peer support group, a trans peer support group, community craft night, and a youth meetup along with special events throughout the year. For more information, please visit pleaflagnwa.com and find us at pflagnwa on social media. Hey everyone, we're back with the District 3 podcast on a special episode where we're talking to candidates that are actually running for the Arkansas Senate 7 district um, race that um, has actually come about us because the former senator, uh, state senator resigned. Um, and now we have two candidates, Lisa Parks and Derek Van Vost. Uh, we're starting with Lisa first. And I've known Lisa for quite a few years now. Um, and I tell everybody she's such a great person. Thank you for making the time for us, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me here, Arvin. I really appreciate you. And Lisa, um, we've known each other for a few years. I personally didn't know where you live. So where, where do you live? I live just south of Tawny, which is kind of interesting because this district really doesn't take in the center of Tawny Town. We're in the city limits of Tawny Town, but we're more kind of, I call it out in the country because we can have a garden and all of that out here. But um, yeah, just south of Tawny Town with my husband, Scott, um, and my daughter, Rebecca, and my grandson, Owen, we live here together. So. And are you originally from Arkansas? Were you born here? I was born in Southeast Arkansas in Dermot. Um, grew up in Southeast Arkansas, graduated from Monticello High School. Um, I went to UAM, that's where I got my undergraduate degree. Um, we were bowl weevils at UAM, so that was fun. Uh, and then I moved to West Arkansas in 1994 and went to law school up here and I've been here ever since. I've been in Tawny Town for about 17 years. And uh, what's your current occupation? I am currently a child welfare attorney. I work, work in the child welfare system um, in dependency neglect cases that involve children in foster care. Um, I was a former public defender. I did public defender work for 17 years. So okay. just doing the a child lot, welfare thing. Yeah. A lot of good experience. Um, yes. So um, what was the uh, timeline or not the timeline, but like, how did you uh, make the decision to want to run for this for this open seat? How did that look like? So you? I ran for a nonpartisan seat several years ago, um, and that was some good experience having the campaign. I did miss, um, you know, nonpartisan races are pretty interesting because it, you're really limited on the issues that you can talk about and think about. And I thought at that time, at some point in the future, I'd probably want to run for a partisan position where we could really focus on the issues that I think really affect families. Um, I had thought about challenging the seat um, a couple of years ago when it was up for re-election and just made the decision at that time that I wouldn't do it then, but maybe think about it again in the future. And so when um, our senator stepped down, it really became immediate, like, do I make the decision to do this? Um, it feels like just really the right thing to do. Um, you know, I'm not a, I'm not real great at self-promoting, but I do think I could do a good job in this position. I really do. So it, 
you know, after much discussion with my family um, and just looking at how it would affect, you know, other aspects of my life, I made the decision that I thought it was the best thing um, to do. I just, it feels like really the right thing to do. I'm glad we have two great candidates uh, running for the progressive side of this race. You know, ever since uh, Dr. Diana Gonzalez Worthen back in 2012, yes. uh, ran in 2012, I don't think there's been a candidate since uh, right. on the progressive side. And, you know, she did such a good job. Um, I remember that was kind of like the first time I ever really got involved in politics back in 2012 mm -hmm. um, when right. I saw her, you know, mm -hmm. uh, a Latina woman running for this for that seat. Uh, was Absolutely. very inspirational for me. Um, and I know that when I ran back in 2016, 2015, she was one of the like biggest mentors that I had and, and she was uh, helping me out and stuff. Um, how, how do you feel that you can kind of like base on the groundwork that has already been built by progressives on that, on, on campaigning for the seat that you can build off that? Um, have you thought about that? Like what? I've thought so much about that. Um, and it's funny that you bring up Diana um, because I thought so much about her in the past few days. And especially when I knew we would have this conversation, conversation I met Diana during that time too. Um, she has reminded me that, because now it feels like we've known each other forever. We're mm -hmm. very dear friends, but she and I met and my husband met at a house party um, when she was running for this position back. And it was, I think you said it was in 2012. Um, since that time, she has just become such a wonderful friend, mentor, her leadership in this community is just incredible. And I was then able to serve under her leadership on the board of One Community. And I'm, I'm sure you're very familiar with One Community. Um, they do Arkansas Fest and you know, they've developed these programs where they go into schools and work with parents and children reading together. And then the parents are able to graduate from those programs and have been able to go to those. It's just, it's just amazing that the work that she and Papa Rap have done. Um, and I know she's been very involved with grant writing. So just being able to observe Diana as a leader um, and as a mentor and see the work she's done. I also met Patricia Rodriguez through um, that organization. Um, and I know that you're very familiar with Patricia as well. Yeah. The irony of all of it is that she then um, was the community coordinator in a safe baby court program that we had in our child welfare cases. So I've seen Patricia be such a leader and such a role model and I've learned so much from her. And then I think about my relationship with you and how um, that campaign of yours, how you just, that um, just groundbreaking work you did, Irvin, to get people registered to vote, uh, just that momentum and seeing that, I, I mean, that that just has to continue. And I know you're doing so much work to to do that and get people registered. But those are the things we need to see. And I, I get it. You know, we have these conversations. We try to figure out what the needs are and what the message is. And, and we listen. And then we um, get the message across and just have so many of these conversations that we've had over the years. And that just has to continue. We have to, you know, just stay focused. And you're doing the work. I'm not saying that you're not. I want to I want to do the work too. You know, I want to do it. I want to listen. I want to hear. I want to um, do do all the things that I need to do to get those messages and continue that work because so much has been done. So much has been done. Um, 
you know, we did that work together. I know you and I texted over getting translators at like the rodeo grounds one year. Um, and that has been an area that is so near and dear to me. But I mean, I think it's also important to marginalized communities as well, because voting is so huge um, to be able that, you know, you can escalate voices that way by allowing access or um, having access to the ballot. It's critical. So I just, I think we have to see the things that have been done and, and keep, just keep fighting and plugging forward. I can see um, such hope based on the things that community leaders like you, Diana, Patricia, Papa Rap, you know, we had our um, uh, kickoff event in downtown Springdale this week. And I was able to meet with some folks from the Marshallese community too, um, and just listen to their voices. And I mean, I think that's what we have to just keep doing is, is knowing what the issues, hearing and working together. Thank you for talking about that. Um, I remember, you know, mentioning the campaign. Um, I was going through, for the first time in a long time, I was going through my uh, like Facebook live page from whenever I ran for office and I was going through like the pictures and stuff. And I remember just because when you run for office, there's so much things going on that sometimes there's little things that you just forget or you don't remember. But I remember uh, that you came for uh, one of the photo shoots for our campaign. You were on the photo yes. shoot. Oh yeah, was, I forgot about that. Yeah, that yeah, was like for uh, I think it was like a like a female empowerment, you know, uh, yes. post, and uh, you were there, and I, I really appreciate that. And those are things that I, I never forget, you know. So I'm really appreciative for your support back then, just because uh, even then, back in 2015, 2016. Uh, people weren't as supportive as they are now, you know, and it, and it means a lot when, when the people are supportive, like from the beginning, you know, when you're barely starting out and stuff like that and getting involved really in politics, you know? Um, so issues, I, I, I get that there's a lot of different issues that are important right now to many Arkansans, but what are some of the ones that um, your campaign is focused on? So many, I mean, just over the years and the, careers that I've had and then also personal experiences I've had there's so many things that are just so near and dear to my heart and so I've tried to narrow some of those down um you know obviously in in this campaign one of the most important things is just you know strengthening protecting children um that also strengthens strengthens and protects their their families um we you know it's so important for kids to have access to health care um, it's so important for children to have pre-K um, so that they can lay the foundation the rest of their lives, basically. Children should have access to quality education, they should, which should also include being higher education or technical training if that's what they want in their lives. But we also have to look at ways to strengthen and protect families um, because that also helps children. I mean, when families succeed, children succeed. You know, I've talked some about that also means protecting our aging, aging Arkansans who sometimes are not getting the medications they need or the healthcare that they need. Um, something that is very near and dear to me, and you know this, is criminal justice reform. Um, I feel like we are locking up way too many people for nonviolent offenses. Um, we continue to punish people um, for poverty, for addiction, um, for skin color. I mean, we know these things. We know it's happening. The research backs it up. You, you know, we look at these decisions, whether to build bigger jails, 
darker prisons. Um, and the answer is we're just locking up too many people. Um, and I will note, notice that the work done on a bail project, you know, there are organizations like the Bell Project, the Poor People's Campaign, the Innocence Project, ACLU does some great work on this, but getting that awareness out and just having real conversations with people and leaders in the community who can make a difference um, in criminal justice reform. Because I was a public defender for 17 years, it's just part of my identity. Uh, you know, just seeing those real faces, talking to those real people, hearing those real stories, we know that locking people up doesn't work, right? Yeah. And so then another issue that I, and we've talked some about this already is just elevating those voices of the marginalized communities and making sure that they are heard um, when decisions are being made. And like I said, the voting rights across the country, you know, in our district, in our state, across the country, these efforts to limit people's access to um, the ballot and to cast their vote it's just, it's not okay. And so we've got to continue to try to dismantle those laws that are, um, that promote injustice and inequality. We just, you know, it's something we really need to, to focus our efforts on. I do want to plug um, that this is something we worked on. And so just getting bilingual um, poll workers is something that, you know, I would like to see. I know we've had lots of conversations about that. And so just, really promoting that too. And that's just a side note, but those are some of the issues that are, that are big and important to me. And there are so many, I mean, women's, you know, we've got to stop the all out attack on women um, and on children and on people of color. Those are the big things. Okay. Thank you for mentioning all that. Um, I think that those are very important issues that people are going to be happy that you're uh, centering in your campaign. Um, any other final final word, Lisa, just for anybody that's out there that maybe hasn't made up their mind um, as to who they're going to vote for, why should they vote for you for this uh, District 7 Senate seat? That's a really good question, and I appreciate the question. I appreciate you having me here. Um, I have lived in District 7 for 17 years. Um, this is my home. I love the people here. I love them. It's a beautiful community. Um, I'm a mother and a grandmother, and I have my mother um, living next door. We're so fortunate to have her here. Um, the families and the children and the people in this district and in this community are just so important to me. Um, and it's like I said, I, you know, I feel like I've learned so much from the mentors and the leaders in this community. I want to continue to learn about the things I've seen, you know, things in my career. I've seen kids come from some of the worst situations, but be so resilient um, and so empowered when their voices are heard. I've seen parents um, facing jail or prison for like the worst day of their life. The thing that happened on the worst day of their life or because they're poor or because they have an addiction and be empowered when their voices are heard. So I promise to listen um, I promise to learn from those, those conversations and those stories I hear, and I promise to carry those lessons to the legislature if I'm there. Um, as your state senator, I'm going to fight for the families of District 7, and it's like I said earlier, I, it's kind of hard to self-promote sometimes, but I do know this about myself, Irvin, I am honest. I'm an honest person. I know there are a lot of folks that I haven't met in District 7, and I look forward to, and I want to earn their trust. I want to earn the trust of the people of District 7, and I really do believe that we can do amazing things together. I really, really do, and so I'm asking um, for people's vote on, on early voting is this week. 
the primary is on Tuesday, but I believe that we can do this together. And I'm just asking folks to take that first step with me. So thank you so much for having me today. Well, thank you for making the time uh, to be here. Uh, we appreciate you. And uh, if anybody has any questions, I mean, you have social media on Facebook. Absolutely. On Instagram too, and on Twitter. So they can ask you questions there. But thank you once again for your time. Thank you, Irvin. Thank you. Tell Myra hi. And now we're here with the other candidate that's running for the same seat uh, for state senator, District 7 of Arkansas, Derek Van Vost. Derek, thank you for joining us today. Irvin, it's a, it's a blessing being here, and I'm glad you'd have me. And I think this is like your third time being on the podcast. Uh, you're like <laughs> one of our guests that has uh, been on the podcast the most. Um, you ran for Springfield City Council back in 2020. Yes, sir. It's correct. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that seems like a like a lifetime ago. <laughs> yeah. There's been so much so much going on since then, and and you stayed pretty active uh, since you ran that last race. Um, one of the things that we were talking off off camera was that um, you were more of like a background person, where uh, you weren't really in the like trying to be in front of the camera and stuff whenever you were doing your community work. But then that your campaign back in 2020 kind of changed that, right? It did. Mm -hmm. And um, so let's talk a little bit of background information. I think we've we've discussed on the podcast before uh, just where you come from. But for the folks that are just listening to this episode for the first time, since we probably will have a lot of uh, viewers, listeners who are uh, listening, watching the podcast for the first time. Where are you from originally? I'm originally from DeQueen, Arkansas, southwest Arkansas, about uh, 45 minutes north of Texarkana. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, what do you currently do for a living? What's your occupation? I'm the founder of Building Bridges. Uh, it's a, non it's a uh, nonprofit youth development and a family assistance program, as well as the CEO of Home Delivery Services and also a special assistant to Reverend Jesse L. Jackson Sr. And tra we travel around and do civil rights with like the Mont Aubrey case and stuff like that. I think it's really interesting, you know, seeing your Facebook feed because, you know, me and you stay in contact all the time. We're always texting and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. For the person that might not be familiar with you, they're probably seeing your Facebook feed and are like, what the heck is Derek doing? He's over there in D.C. He's over here with the Reverend. What exactly do you do with the Reverend? Well, I mean, first and foremost, he mentors me in, in everything. And, and that's what I'm going to that's what I'm going to probably do you know, after everything's over with my career is being, you know, hopefully a national civil rights leader. Um, but really, really, you know, I assist him. I assist him because he mentors me in things we do. So when we travel the country and we do things like that, I have to do, I have to do all the grunt work sometimes, you know, and learn from the bottom up how things work. But really, it's really what he's done for me. It's really what he's done for us, if you ask me. I mean, just the fact that we have we can go to school with people of different races. We can do things with other races and we can drink out of a water fountain, for example, with other people. You know, you people forget that when Dr. King was shot, the dream would have died if it wasn't for Reverend Jackson. He's the one that brought it back. So it's really what he does for me, honestly. And obviously, I mean, I had, I had the opportunity to be able to meet him whenever I went to DC and got a picture with him and everything. And um, he's such a powerful leader. And of course, like 
the most decorated uh, civil rights leader alive today. Um, what do you think are some of the things that you've learned from him in this time that you've that you've been working with him? Oh man, wow! It's uh, it's not even fair. It's like it's like just the first time I was with him is like being born again, right? I mean, just he just begins talking, and what you realize with the uh, and you know a civil rights icon like him. I mean, he's a world leader, right? So it, just his basic conversations are so deep, you learn so much. And for me, what I learned that's really helping me here when I come back home, um, you know, I'll travel around the country and fight, you know, civil rights issues and stand up for people. But I, I think, you know, Arkansas, our home is like one of the worst I've been to. I mean, it's, it's, it's really bad. I mean, it really is. I mean, don't get me wrong. The city, the state, everything is beautiful. Way more love than there is hate. But as far as like laws and, man, it, it is really bad. And that's kind of why I got into the fight I got today. But what I really learned from him that helps me with this movement is how in depth, like criminal justice reform, man. Um, oh my gosh, how much work we need to do. Um, voter suppression. Just for example, this local election, I mean, the times that you're able to vote, right? And not being open on the weekends, you've really put out any poultry worker or anybody that works in any type of um, industry or a plant or something. And it, it's, it's difficult, even with the mail-in ballots, you, the people that are in jail, they're able to vote. You know, that's another thing I would love to learn is like, you know, so many people in jail could vote and they don't. I mean, it was kind of so quick that you had to have your mail-in ballot by the 7th. Well, if somebody was in jail, for example, they couldn't vote. And you know as well as I know, in the county jail, almost all those people are innocent. They haven't been to court yet. And so we take away their rights to vote and not even realize it. And I'm not saying that they're doing anything bad at the voting. I just don't think they understand and we don't bring enough attention to it. But I, I learned all that stuff from Reverend Jackson. It made all the sense in the world once he had taught me stuff like that. So I, that kind of stuff. So I think one of the important things to highlight also is that you're a black candidate running for office in Northwest Arkansas. And I kind of feel like, you know, working with you during your campaign last time, uh, instead of, of being able to just go out there and, and do the work that you have to do to run for office, a lot of, you spend a lot of time on the defense, you know, just because like of, of all the things that you have to prove to people are not true, all the, the allegations and stuff like that. Um, how has that experience been for you just in general? Uh, and how have you dealt with, you know, a lot of the unnecessary hate and people just literally trying to, to sway you away from what your priority is, which should be campaigning and stuff like that? Well, for me, honestly, it's, it's, it's really what we, what we all go through as, as, as minorities. And we talk about that, um, uh, as, as people of color, we're automatically criminals to a lot of people, and we'll never not be. It doesn't matter what your background is, and that's just part of it. It's not anybody really picking on me. That, that's a stereotype across the country, but it's really no different than what women go through in, in the work field. You know, they uh, a lot of people feel like they don't belong, or they're only there because of, a, of, of a, somebody hooking them up with a job, or, you know, and then they get to the point where they just have to deal with it. Like, okay, maybe I'm just eye candy to keep my job, and it's just so degrading. To me, it's so degrading. I mean, but that is why I got into it, Urban, as you know. I mean, that's why, man, because if we could just break this glass ceiling then and continue to mentor other people of color and culture to, to come and run and vote, well, then it won't be this hard for the next person that's coming through and they don't have to deal with it. 
you know, I, yeah, I've, I've got to go to court over some of these things. People call the anonymous hotline. Well, people have to follow up on that stuff. You know what I mean? And we, when we fill up the whole, we, we take away from resources we really need to get families and children and stuff they have, help they need. We, we take away from that because, you know, people act this way. I don't know what the hatred is with people. I don't know. You know, and even now, and, and I've talked to you the other night, you know, they're trying to put stuff on the internet and I haven't even got to go to chance to even go to court to even for the for the anonymous phone call right yeah. so after sitting in kenosha and seeing a young man shoot somebody and get a fair trial and go home free it's just odd that in the south people of color we're guilty before we even get a chance to step foot in the courtroom you know and and that, those are things that not to say that we're being picked on a lot of that's unconscious bias they don't realize it's been going on for so long so nobody even knows but it is my job to uh to address it and I don't mean to, I'm not going to shame anybody or guilt anybody, but address it so people know and hopefully lay the foundation so people in the future can run, uh, of color, can run without having to deal with this. It's so weird just because I know that, you know, back when I ran in 2016, um, there was people like within the Democratic Party that were actually like doing um, criminal background checks on me, you know, <laughs> and I, I have a super clean record. I mean, I've had maybe like a few uh, uh, speeding tickets, uh, that was it, uh, probably like two or one, I forgot how many, but um, you know, there's always kind of people that just assume uh, that you might have something and you're hiding it, which sucks uh, and it's very degrading. And I think that uh, we're doing a good job in, in being candidates of color. Like you said, you know, we're kind of taking the difficult things uh, starting creating a base for people of color to be able to run in the future and hopefully not have as much uh, backlash, you know, as we get, because in Northwest Arkansas, it's difficult to run as a person of color. You're, there's things that people don't understand. You know, there was, there was times where uh, I had people throw uh, the mail pieces that I sent out um, back at our camp, in front of our campaign office uh, with messages on them and stuff. You know, so it's just, and I know that you've had, I think like racial things uh, posted in, outside of your mom's house and stuff mm -hmm. like that, you know, horrible things. Um, so it definitely is very um, unfortunate, you know, but we kind of have to push forward um, and talk about the issues, talk about important things. What are some of the, of the issues that are important to your campaign, Derek? Well, no, there's no doubt that, that education it's going to be important and that's the obvious but but most important to me is health and mental health mm -hmm. um, i think if being around the country if you're not on the forefront of health especially mental health and that's where a lot of these because that's where your violence stems from if you ask me i mean your 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 mental health is what's taking these people grabbing these guns and, and shooting up everything right mm -hmm. but you can't mention that much in the South because people feel you're trying to take their guns when that's not the case at all. We just don't want people to get shot. And I think yeah. when you have to see courtrooms with you see like a Maude Aubrey stuff that's not shown on television, you see these kids that have been shot around the country. And once you see somebody get killed, man, you don't want to see anybody get killed, man. And but you can't explain that to people because, you know, they, they immediately get defensive. Yeah. So uh, for me, it's really just to wade the waters and you continue doing it. I've been, I've been advised from DC not to run here. Mm. I've been advised from Chicago not to run here. Like, you know, your, your image, your reputation, you know, you, your, 
it's, it's, it's perfect for what the country needs. But when you go to places like that, you set yourself up for failure. All you have to do is simply move to Detroit, you know, get an apartment, run for office, and you'll walk in, right? And but but to me, it means something to come home. It means something to be a part of you. We know what you kind of laid the foundation. You kind of laid. It means something uh, for uh, the the people in the community I care about. And it it's not about white people. It's not about you know these people who are doing this. They so happen to be white, but they're not the representation of all the white people in Arkansas. Not at all. Right. It's the unconscious bias things I think people do traditionally, and we do as as people of color. We do it to ourselves a lot of times too. And those are the things we really need to talk about. And there's a lot of issues. We can go on and on about infrastructure. We can go on and on about that. But if we're not talking about uniting people, you know, and getting people to at least get along or act, you know, or, or either stopping some of this hatred, I mean, a lot of that is uh, irrelevant. And these, these yeah. criminal justice, a lot of criminal justice reform, man, we have so many people I'm meeting with the leaders yesterday. We have so many people of color who don't even, just because they don't know English, they're in jail. And what you realize is when you're struggling like that and you're going check to check, you go to jail and you got those fines and those fees and those attorney fees. And, and man, it, it adds up. I mean, just for the trash that's been called in on me, and I'm, I speak average English, you know, and, um, you know, educated and then working in the country, doing the job work I do. Even I, when I step across the line, I mean, they're, they're coming at me, guns are blazing and just keeping me in court, keeping me in court for nonsense. And then trying to paint a picture on who I am. I can only imagine what someone who, who may have an a, a undocumented relative living there, how they're getting threatened and maybe not understanding the, the law or the, the language, how they're getting treated. So, there's a lot of things we need to work on, but the other candidates can handle that stuff. If we don't take care of our people and speak out, it might ruffle a little feathers, but it's change has gotta happen. We cannot have people living in this community feeling like they're a guest in their home. We cannot have the Latino leaders telling me, we're just, we're just used to it now. We just don't belong here. We're just living, and that's not okay. And they, they can tear my character. They can say what they want to. They can threaten me. The newspapers can send whatever they want to. The bottom line is I live by the truth and the truth will always outlast the lie. And I've always promised my grandmother I would fight for people who couldn't fight for themselves. And that's what I'm going to do, period. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, one of the things I do want to highlight is that ever since you ran for office, like even after you've continued to be uh, very visible in the community. Can you talk a little bit about the work that you've been doing and also mentioning um, the work that you're doing alongside uh, Salvadorian community leaders with the whole consulate thing? Yes, we, well, we've been doing a lot of work with, with you know, the Puerto Rican leaders, the Salvador, Salvadorian, and the Marcellese, and, and that, I've been doing that. So what we're doing now is we're trying to have, you know, and I've been working on getting things done, of getting a a culture a cultural center here a culture center here of, of so we can have all races come right a, a culture center that you can feel comfortable coming to so in that center you have Marshallese you know Puerto Rican El Salvadorian Mexican whatever there so you can come in and answer questions or if you've been done wrong right you can come in and they know uh, what to do or what direction to go right so have a, have like a center for all one that people feel confident coming in. You know, we, they talk about, they tell me all the time that people are not confident giving out their social security number, their address, you know, because they don't really trust the government. Well, I'm an American. I've never lived anywhere else and I don't trust the government and I work with the government. 
right? I'm, I'm just telling you, I don't. So I don't expect you to. So, you know, these are legitimate concerns. And they tell me stuff about how people are getting ripped off on, you know, buying cars because they don't understand. The, so what I've been doing really is meeting with all the leaders and trying to get a place where people can come at one location and they can come and, and answer questions and feel safe about doing so without being criticized or whatever. So meeting with all the leaders, I've just taken their, you know, their knowledge. And I think that that's what's best coming. So that's what I've been working on locally. Uh, that's, I think that's crucial, man. I, I do. I think it's crucial. The, the leaders themselves tell me, hey, I work this job, but I have to answer questions all day long about, you know, Latinos or whatever want to start a business and they don't know how and how to get started and, and where to get money and who's going to support who. And same thing with the Puerto Ricans and Salvadorians. And, you know, so I, I get that. Marshallese, I get it. I think that's what's most important here because of the number of our, our minorities well, here. I think that's that's crucial. So that's what I've been doing. I've been working on that. And I hope, I think we're maybe a year out from getting that done. And I think you've been doing a good job because I mean, I, I've been seeing all the different relationship building that you've been doing and, and you've been interacting with folks who I hadn't even met in the community yet, which you would think that like with all this work that we've been doing in the past few years that we would meet everybody, but there's still a lot of folks, you know, like for example, Jessica, uh, mm. who Our I did not know. Uh, and if it wasn't because of you, I wouldn't have met her. And, you know, we've had her on the podcast and we've been able to learn, you know, all the good work that she is doing in the Salvadorian community, but also, you know, outside of the Salvadorian community, just in general, you know, for folks with, with uh, different illnesses and, and, and the event that she has every year uh, for that, um, I think is super important. So Derek, if for anybody that might be, uh, that hasn't voted yet, you know, might be someone that maybe doesn't identify as a Democrat, maybe doesn't identify for, as any party, and they're interested in voting in this election, why would you uh, suggest that they vote for you? Well, I, I, it's, I, honestly, I think you should just vote, right? I think that's our only voice. And people get frustrated. They say, I vote, nothing changes. I, I voted for the president of the chain. Well, we got to vote local, right? Um, it, it, to me, it doesn't matter what you identify as, you know, and, and that, that's, that's, it doesn't matter. You Voting is your voice. And voting lets people know that you have a voice and you'll use your voice so people pay attention to you and you can speak on things. But if you, to me, you can vote for whoever you want to. Just go vote. But if you want someone who will stand in, and not to say the other candidates won't, but they will dedicate the rest of their lives to helping others, I have already done that. When I took this commitment, um, red red, brown, yellow, black, and white, they're precious in his sight. I've given my life to, to protect all people, all people, even on the other, there's no, there's no divisions with, with Reverend Jackson or, you know, Rainbow Push. It's everybody, there's no divisions, right? We're all human um, to protect and fight for anybody. And honestly, I could care what, I could care less what your color is, whether it's race or what your red or blue Democrat Republican. I'm about change for the people. I'm about growth for the people. Dr. King made it very clear. He said, he wanted to be the white man's brother, not his brother-in-law. He said he wanted the slave owner, the slave son to sit with the, you know, with the plantation owner's son and break bread. And he didn't mean conflict. He mean have dialogue, have dialogue because that's where you can get change. I mean, we all took separate, separate boats to get here, but we're all in the same boat now, right? So it, I, I don't care who does what, but if you want somebody that I can, I guarantee this, I will stand in and listen first. Listen first, because if people aren't listening, 
we're not getting anything accomplished. They don't know the issues we deal with in our communities if they're not listening to us. And then second, just turn around and fight like heck. Turn around and fight like heck. It's no different than playing football. You know, I played football for years. The quarterback calls the play and you just go out and fight like heck. That's your job. And that's what I'll do for the people. But just get out and vote. A couple of days left. Get out, voice your opinion. If you want to meet me personally, ask me questions, I encourage it. And not only that, tell me your issues so I can fight for you. I'm going to fight for you whether we get a vote or not. I'm going to run the next election until we get people of color running in these elections. And I'm going to continue to do that. I guarantee you I'll be signed up for the next election if the 14th comes around and we don't win the primary, I'm gonna be in the first thing open in the next one. Continue to use this platform to uh, upreach, I mean, reach our children, our young brown people, our young people of different cultures and bring them to the table so they can have a voice and vote. I'm gonna to continue to do that, guaranteed, promise you right now. Well, thank you for all that, Derek. And thank you for making time for this podcast. We appreciate you being here today. Absolutely, it's a blessing, thank you.